0: What about the condition of crime before God? The condition of sin before God? Can you both be free and have your ledger clean? This morning, we get to study why the answer to that question is yes. I'm Kyle Grant, and I'm the lead pastor at Grace Bible Church. You know, biblical preaching is one of the highest priorities of our ministry, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to listen. If you have any questions about our ministry or would like to know more about Christ, feel free to connect with us at www.gracebibleelkhart.com. Thank you again for spending these moments with us. And I pray that God transforms you by His grace through the Bible. If you will go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. If you haven't been with us, we are working our way through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And we are working our way through chapter 1. We are hiking this glorious beautiful, astounding mountain of the Scriptures, and we are just finding glory and beauty after glory and beauty. This morning, we just get to continue this incredible study. We have looked so far at the blessing of God, which, of course, in verse 3 is a result of His blessedness. Everything that we find in verses 3 to 14 is an expression of His nature. He blesses us because He is blessed. It's who He is, so it's what He does. These are not material or earthly blessings. These are out-of-this-world blessings. They're heavenly blessings. We have talked together about the blessing, the glorious blessing of election in verse 4. That he knew and wanted a people before the foundation of the world. We have gloried in the reality that God has not only adopted a people or brought a people to himself, but he's adopted a family to himself. That he does these things for his own purposes and by his own grace. And this morning we continue to study the glorious purposes of god given to us by the incredible grace of god something is true of all of us it's true of all of us and there's a lot of diversity in this room different personalities different different backgrounds and upbringings different gift sets different locations even where you live now different families But one thing is true of all of us. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The common denominator among all people is that all people have a spiritual condition. And that condition will end in death. It is terminal. Unless Unless that sin is gone. Unless it's handled eternally. What about the condition of crime before God? The condition of sin before God? Can you both be free and have your ledger clean? This morning, we get to study why The answer to that question is yes. Let's read our passage. Let's start in verse 3, read down to it, because again, we want to make sure we get the entire context. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. This morning, I want to show you with these two gospel blessings that we will study as individual theological ideas, and then within one flow of the text, I want to show you that this morning, you can be encouraged. You can be encouraged that the people of God live fully free and freely forgiven. The people of God live fully free and freely forgiven. Verses seven and eight offer to us a similar structure, which actually makes the outline very clear and the flow very clear. Paul is going to give us a gospel reality or within context of the passage one of the blessings that he talks about in verse 3. He's going to he's going to talk about another one of the blessings and then he's going to explain the source from which that blessing came from. And so this morning we're we're going to deal with two assurances and then agents of that assurance. You say, "Well, what do you mean agent?" Please don't think like you know, secret one or spy or investigator here, agent as in the vehicle or the means that, that, that functions. Think like a cleaning agent. You need something cleaned and so you use Windex or whatever your cleaning agent is. It's the thing that accomplishes the thing. So we're going to start with the assurance and the agent number one in verse seven. In him, we have redemption through his blood. So as we already mentioned, the structure is similar in both verses 7 and verse 8. And so in verse 7, we find that the assurance is redemption, and the source, or the agent, is his blood. And so let's look firstly together at the gospel assurance of redemption, and then we will talk about its source, the blood. The theology of redemption in verse 7, through him we have redemption, through his blood, is actually a little bit complex in the passage to know exactly who Paul is referring to. Paul is not clear with his pronouns in this long sentence. So some people are going to say that the Redeemer here is God, and some people are going to say that the Redeemer here is Jesus. I don't think that's actually what is, what is important as the act itself, all right? So I actually hold that the Redeemer here is God and the means that he accomplishes that redemption is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the pro- again, the pronouns are a little vague. And so in my opinion, and it is the majority view, that God is acting as the Redeemer. In him we have redemption. And the means by which God accomplishes this redemption is the blood of Jesus Christ. You say, well then, and you should be asking, what is redemption? And that's a long and complex answer as we study the Bible. And so I'm going to do my best, actually, just to focus on the scope of redemption in this verse. We have at least an idea of what it is, and I hope you have, even just from our past time in the Word together. And maybe you even have an idea of redemption from from culture. When When you see or you hear the concept of redemption, usually there's some sort of what we might say redeeming factor. Or you might watch a movie and there's a character, or you might read a story and there's a character that seems bad for a long time, and then something happens to redeem that character. I know what we mean, but I'm not sure that those things actually help us with this biblical definition, because this biblical definition is very precise. The Old Testament provides a background understanding for the theology of redemption. There was provision for uh, redemption, in other words, a purchase of something that could be either land or even or even people could be redeemed. We get the idea, obviously, from Exodus and from Deuteronomy, Exodus 15, from Deuteronomy 7, Isaiah 48, Isaiah 52, that redemption is what God has in mind for his people, and what does he need to buy them back from? What does he need to deliver them from? What does he need to free them from? In the Old Testament, it's other people's. The people of Israel need redeemed from Egypt. They need redeemed from Persia. They need redeemed from Babylon. One of the most basic fundamental ideas of redemption has the idea that something is set free and has come to belong to someone else. And it should be understood that biblically redemption is both an action and a position. In other words, it's both an accomplishment and a state of being. You say, well, what does that mean? We as the people of God have been redeemed and are redeemed. It is both an action and a state of being. For example, I have been married. And that means I am now married. I do not get married every day, and that's a good thing. Otherwise, you'd have to fire me. It is a past action which results in a state of being. So that means that positionally before God, even now, the redeeming work that he has accomplished through the blood of Jesus Christ, even now we stand before God in the state of redemption yet not full redemption. We are spiritually redeemed. And this is a, a perfectly logical next step from the concept that he's just talked about, adoption. Why? Because remember we said last week that to re- to adopt someone, a slave or a family member from someone else that you wanted to make your heir, you had to purchase them there was a payment that needed to be made and remember I said that according to Roman law they had to be purchased once out of that family and then purchased again basically into slavery so that the right for that individual could be bought and then they would be purchased again out of slavery. And so the, 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 the foundation, the logical foundation of something being purchased has already been laid by Paul in this understanding of adoption. And so now he moves to another gospel reality which, recognize, which, which necessitates some sort of purchase. But remember I said that though it's an action and though it is also a state of being, our redemption is not yet Because we are redeemed by God, because of God, for God, yet we still are are bound bound somewhat physically by this shell of a body which still has the effects of sin, and one day it will not. Within this book, chapter 4, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So our spiritual redemption has been accomplished, but the the fullness of our redemption has not yet been realized. You say, well, what are you talking about? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you sinned this morning? I'll raise mine. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you grunted when you got out of bed this morning? you did that thing where you went, ugh! And it wasn't just because the numbers and the clock were too early. It was because something hurt. There has been an act of redemption, but a fullness of our redemption awaits us where we no longer bear any of the effects of Adam's sin. Paul says in Romans 8 verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, we haven't fully got to the... the, We haven't worked into the full glory of this doctrine yet, but, but this means... That though we relish and are astounded and worship God for the glory of our redemption now, it's even better from here. For the Christian, for the believer in Jesus Christ, it it really can only look up. And I believe Paul has this full idea of our freedom in view. Because in God's sight, we have spiritual blessings, where, verse 3, in the heavenly places. And so this idea of redemption, being purchased out of something and placed into something else, what were we freed from? What were we redeemed from? Because this idea of redemption fundamentally has the idea of purchase for the sake of freedom. Freedom. So what were you freed from if you claim to follow Jesus this morning? Well, church history recognizes a summary of three primary things, and, and they're alliterated, so you know I love them, right? Uh, some people say it's the Puritans who summarized this. I'm, I'm not really sure. I think it goes back further than that. But from what have the people of God been freed? They've been freed from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, and the presence of sin. You say, well, what does that look like? Ephesians chapter 2, verse one you can just sh- you can just look over and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the courses of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind what picture do you get when you read there you are powerless in comparison to the sin that binds you. You have no ability to free yourself. You have no spiritual aptitude or energy to free yourself. Look at the layers of restriction. You were dead. What does a dead person do? How does a corpse resurrect itself? You once walked in them following the course of the air, following the prince of the power of the air. Satan himself, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, sin itself and its fundamental understanding apart from the redeeming work of Jesus Christ means you are powerless to accomplish what must be accomplished. And we're not there yet. We're going to be. And I'm pretty excited about it. But look what Paul says in verse 4. But God being rich in mercy. So where you are powerless in regards to your sin, God is powerful. And not only powerful, but merciful enough to accomplish what is necessary that sin may be overcome. So we are freed from the power of sin. One of the more commonly known Verses of Romans, especially if you work through the the Romans road. Chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is, say it, death. Wages. It's a financial term. What you owe is death. Listen, brother or sister, you and I cherish the reality that we have been redeemed, freed from eternal death. And if you joined us this morning and you're not one of our regular attenders and you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you owe something to God because of the sin that, that you naturally follow, that you naturally live in. The law that you fall short of. Some sort of payment has to be made. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus himself makes this very clear. unless you believe that I am He, the Messiah, you will die in your sins. And death in sin results in condemnation and separation from God eternally. And that separation does not look like a place where you could go to burn off all the bad stuff that you can done that you've done so that you can finally stand before God with enough good stuff. That death is eternal. And it is in the lake of fire. And the worst part about it is that it's final. God is not there to pull you out. But the free gift of God is eternal life. And how is this accomplished? The shed blood of Jesus Christ to free us from the penalty of sin. And the grace of God, the redemption of God, the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to free us from the presence of sin. 4 Philippians 3 Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body and make it like unto his glorious body. How and why? Through the act of redemption, which seals the position of redemption in which we await the full redemption of our bodies in the day of redemption so that we live forever free from sin's effects, from sin's power, and from sin's penalty. So the redemption of God assures freedom from every way that sin restricts you. It is more powerful in every way than sin's power over you. It is more life giving than every effect that sin brings death to you. And it is more pleasing in his presence than any false sort of pleasure or fake satisfaction that sin offers you. We are redeemed. This is the assurance, and I just mentioned that through this redemption, that this redemption assumes a purchase, and we all, of course, know that a purchase assumes a price and a payment, so Paul will next address this price and this payment. How are we redeemed? Let's look secondly together at the agent, through his blood. So this doctrine of redemption is much bigger than the scope of this text. There's really one primary thing that Paul is, there's there's really one primary aspect of redemption that Paul is driving towards, and that is the freedom aspect of redemption. But we get this idea of purchase and payment all throughout the scriptures. This idea of price and payment are pervasive, even from the very first account in the Bible. When Adam and Eve fell, they had to be covered by the by the skins of something else. With Israel, the price of the holiness of God represented through law, followed which, of course, we know throughout the Old Testament they could not do. So the payment was the sacrifice of an animal. The New Testament price, that is what God requires, the price tag of redemption does not change. It is his holiness, it is his standard, it is his law, it is his righteousness. And thus we need a payment that both satisfies God's righteous demands and meets his holy standard. Have you ever wanted something that cost too much? You said, yeah, yesterday. Most people can't just afford anything. Most people can't just afford anything. Think of the wealthiest people that you know. There's still things that they probably can't buy. You and I are not free from financial limitations. But have you ever needed something that you couldn't afford? There is a massive difference a massive difference between wanting something that you cannot afford and needing something that you cannot afford when you want something that you can't afford you may be frustrated to discontentment but when you need something you can't afford you may be crushed by desperation we have nothing with which to pay for our sins Not enough good, not enough money, not enough religion, not enough good day's work, not enough theological justice, theological knowledge, not enough social justice, not enough philanthropy, not enough wisdom, nothing. We are not enough. No matter what the world may tell you, that you are sufficient in yourself and you are enough, the Bible says you're not. But the blood of Jesus, God's Son, pays the price. And the shedding of his blood is the payment. Paul instructs the elders in Acts 20, we talked about this before we got into the book of Ephesians, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Remember that phrase means the blood of his own, the blood of his own son. How did he obtain it? Through shed blood. Hebrews chapter 9, the writer says he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood and goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The writer of Hebrews references another accomplishment of the blood of Christ, which leads us then to our next spiritual blessing. Hebrews 9 verse 22, indeed under the law, Almost everything is purified with blood, and without shedding blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So, how does God redeem the sinner? by drawing that sinner to recognize that he has nothing in himself that is powerful or valuable or sufficient to stand before God himself and say, this, this will pay. This is enough. But that believer stands before God and says, the blood of your own has purchased me. And he is enough, and he has paid for it. And so we are free from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, and the presence of sin. And so we ought to live freely in that redemption. Listen to me, before we move on to forgiveness, I have a question for you. Are you holding on to sin or guilt that Christ shed his own blood to free you from. Paul is going to press this theological idea of our freedom even further with this next assurance and agent. Assurance and agent number two, forgiveness. And the agent, God's grace. Look with me at verses 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. We'll deal with those words, wisdom and insight, next time we come together because I actually think that those are better seen in light of the next verse. And so we will just deal, This we'll finish this morning by dealing with the reality of the forgiveness of our trespasses, which he lavished on us in grace. This forgiveness has another idea, it maintains another idea of some sort of limitation. With redemption, we are, we are not free. We are bound. With forgiveness, we are, with, with a lack of forgiveness, we are indebted. This word forgiveness literally maintains the idea of some sort of cancellation of a financial debt. This word trespass literally has the idea of to lose footing or to fall. Look with me at uh, chapter 2 Verse 5, even as we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Paul uses the phrase again, the, the word again, this is one of Paul's favorite words for sin. It has the idea of we either, we're either moving into a, a law that is not ours, and so we are offending that law, or we are falling, we're losing footing, and so we are offending God before that law. And it seems to be that form of trespass that Paul is focusing on here. Here. We have offended God by falling short of the standard. And so, what has God done? He has canceled the record of our debt, not because they haven't been paid, but because it has. In other words, the debt does not stand against you on your account. We do a, when we travel, when my family and I travel, especially just my wife and I, our means of traveling, our ideal means of traveling is flying. Because it's just quicker. And so yesterday, uh, and we usually always fly Southwest Airlines. You say, why do you do that? Someone in our marriage packs a lot. And they give you, I think, three checkbacks. Someone in our marriage packs a lot. It's not me. Um, And so yesterday, she's not even here to defend herself. Yesterday, I applied for a Southwest credit card because you get lots of points, and you get to redeem points, and you save money on your tickets. And when I use that credit card, something will happen. Funds will be charged to that account. And I will have to take funds that I have elsewhere, and I will have to pay that down. You understand how a credit card works. You could, if you wanted to, say, no, I don't know why you'd do this. I probably would, I wouldn't tell you or ask you to do this. Hey, I know you've got a trip coming up. I'd like to pay your Southwest credit card for you. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm saying that you could if you wanted to still sounds like I'm asking. I'm really not. I'm really not. And that would mean you're taking that debt to stand against you, not against me. And if you wanted to cover the annual fee, that'd be fine too. (laughs) That debt would stand against you, not against me. And you were dead, Colossians 2, in your trespasses and sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Because what happens legally if you can't pay your debt? You pay some other way. You're either bound in prison or you're put to death. This, the debt, he set aside. How? Nailing it to the cross. So God takes your sin debt with your credit ledger and he nails it to the cross of Jesus Christ and he lets the blood wash it clean. And he presents you with a new ledger and it says Paid and the ink is red. It didn't stand against us, it stood against Jesus, and He alone has the spiritual resource to bear it. But what's the agent? according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. This word lavish has the idea of abound, and this is the verb form, so what it literally means is to cause to abound. This is the logic that Paul is making. You stood before God in spiritual debt, and someone had to pay for it, but God, who is who is Wealthy in riches beyond what you could possibly imagine. Wealthy in riches of grace cause those riches to abound toward you through the blood of Jesus Christ. This could literally be read read, the riches of His grace with which He has made us rich in grace. So every ability that you did not have to free yourself, God provided through redemption in Christ, redemption through his blood, and everything you owed that you could not pay for yourself, God provided through the riches of grace. And now you stand before God wealthy in grace. So this morning, someone did pay the bail and did wipe the ledger clean. The price was blood, the currency was God's grace. And now the people of God live free, fully forgiven. Listen to me, that means the things in your past that you wish you could forget It happened however recently they happened. The words that you said, that you saw their effect cut deep. The thing you thought you could never do but did. Your child's sin. That you can't bear to look at. If your child has placed faith in Christ, if you have placed faith in Christ, I want you to hear this word the sin is gone. Gone. And every time you reach back for it in guilt or in repeat offense, you have forgotten the precious blood of Jesus Christ or forsaken the insurmountable wealth of grace with which God has made you rich as well. And so, brother and sister, stand before God free because you are. Forsake the sin because it's gone. Live in joy because you can. And my friend, if you are with us this morning, You're trusting in something else for salvation, good works, yourself, your religion, your family's religion. You're not free, and you're not forgiven. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me.